we are approaching the turning point here in the Gospel of Mark, which will happen near the end of chapter 8, and we'll get there after the new year. But in the first half of Mark, we've seen Jesus uh, preaching, healing, casting out demons, teaching his disciples, and Mark has been building tension in all of these stories in this, uh, in this question, who is Jesus? He's been asking and answering that question. Then when we get to the near, uh, near to the end of chapter 8, this question will build and build until it breaks into two questions that Jesus has for his disciples. The first one is, who do people say that I am? And then more pointedly, he will ask, who do you say that I am? From there, Jesus and his disciples will move from up north in the region of Galilee, and they'll begin to move down south toward Jerusalem. Um, And along the way, Jesus will tell his disciples three times that he must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And at that point, Mark will shift from asking, who is Jesus, to what did Jesus come to do? And that will take us through the rest of Mark. And so we'll, we'll pick that up after the new year. I've told you that Mark has been showing us all kinds of facets of Jesus, like this jewel. Um, and we've We've looked at a lot of them. We've seen uh, a lot of comforting images of Jesus' power over disease, his power over demons, his power even over death. Um, We've seen Jesus' willingness to make us clean. Uh, We've seen his tender and father-like compassion. And then last week we saw his compassion as he has compassion for his hungry-hearted sheep. So yes, Mark has shown us that Jesus came to comfort the afflicted. But today, Mark is going to remind us that Jesus also came to afflict the comfortable. Buckle your seatbelts. Let's uh, look at Mark chapter 7, verses 1 through 23. Hear the word of the Lord. Now, when the Pharisees gathered to him, to Jesus, with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And Jesus said to them, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to 
the tradition of men. Andy said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is korban, that is, given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed, handed down. And many such things you do. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are, are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come and uh, we ask that you would prepare our hearts for what you have to say and that you would open our eyes so that we can understand, as you even asked the disciples, do you, do you not yet have understanding? Lord, we want understanding. We want understanding. Send your spirit to help us understand what you're saying um, this morning. And help us to see you, Lord Jesus, high and lifted up as our only hope. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So, uh, over the years, in over 25 years of youth ministry, um, as a youth pastor, I, I've noticed that parents tend to, not every parent, but parents tend to have a checklist of things that they don't want for their kids and things they do want for their kids. And, and that checklist includes things like these. I'm sure the checklist is longer for some, shorter for others. Here, here are some of the things that parents don't want for their children, for their teenagers especially. Don't do drugs. Don't go to jail. Don't have sex. Or these days, at least don't have babies or diseases. Stay out of trouble. Here's the positive side of the checklist. Get good grades. 
have good success on the field, on the court, on the stage. Build a good, well-rounded resume by the time you graduate from high school. Get into a good college so you can get a good job. Marry a good man or a good woman, you know, one who has a good pedigree. Make good money. I want you off the payroll. Be a good citizen. Vote. Call me, I'll tell you what to do. And at the bottom of the checklist is this one. Then, after you've done all those things, I want you to have grandchildren who do all those things. I'm just being real with you. That's, that's what I've seen over a couple of decades of watching parents raise teenagers. But let's be honest. Don't you want your children to check off all these boxes? I'd love for my kids to check off all these boxes. I don't, I don't have a problem with any of these things. But there is a huge problem. You can check off all these boxes, students. Parents, your students can check off all these boxes and still not have a heart for God. It happens all the time. And that's what Mark is trying to get at this morning. That's what Jesus is trying to get at this morning. Mark is going to kind of let us know here. Jesus is going to let us know. You can look good on the outside. You can check off all the boxes of these behaviors that look godly and good. And yet, the true condition of your heart can still be your heart is far from God. So Mark wants us to see the true condition of our hearts this morning. So why? Why, would, why does Mark want to do this? Why does Jesus want to do this? Well, before Mark answers the who is Jesus question in chapter 8, um, and before he spends the rest of his book showing us what Jesus came to do, he believes we need to see the true condition of our hearts because Mark knows that unless you understand and face the true condition of your heart, you will never understand and embrace who Jesus really is. And unless you understand and face the true condition of your heart, you will never understand and embrace what Jesus came to do. And so in order to expose the true condition of all our hearts, Jesus exposes the true condition of the hearts of the Pharisees. Well, why pick on these guys? Why the Pharisees? Because the people of that day believed that if anyone had a heart for God, it had to be the Pharisees. Now see, you and I are, are colored by what we know Jesus has already exposed by the Pharisees. So when we think of Pharisees, we think bad guys. But in these days, they were the good guys. Nobody was as good as a Pharisee. You would want a Pharisee to be your next-door neighbor. You would want your daughter to date a Pharisee. He's going to be a good guy. You would vote for a Pharisee. 
the Pharisees, there's no politician today that's as good as the Pharisees were. A Pharisee was in that day what we today call a good Christian man. You know, he, he has faith, he goes to worship, he's in, got integrity in his work, uh, he's, he's good to his wife, he's got great children, he's an upstanding citizen. It's what we would today call a good Christian man. That's the Pharisees. So, naturally, if you're one of those folks who knew the Pharisees and you weren't one, you would naturally think, if God isn't pleased with a Pharisee, there's no way he's going to be pleased with me. And that's precisely why Jesus chose the Pharisees for his lesson on the true condition of the heart. Because remember in the Sermon on the Mount what Jesus said? He said, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So the Pharisees are are the perfect folks to examine their hearts, expose their hearts, because Jesus is saying, unless your righteousness exceeds theirs, you don't have any hope. I remember as a kid hearing people talk about uh, these martial artists like Bruce Lee or, or maybe Chuck Norris um, and, and their skills, and, and they would say, yeah, old Chuck Norris, he could take your heart out of your chest and show it to you before you die. Yeah, that's what Jesus is about to do with the Pharisees. Jesus... Jesus does not waste any time with these guys. He he reaches in, pulls out their heart while it's still beating, puts it in in front of their face, and he goes, well, did Isaiah prophesy about you hypocrites? And then he quotes Isaiah. This people worships me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. The quickest way to a man's heart is not Chuck Norris's fist. It's the penetrating, powerful words of Jesus. So Jesus comes to the Pharisees and all those who are listening and watching this scene. He says, good news. You're worse than you think. You're a hypocrite. A hypocrite, that that word comes from uh, the stage, from the theater. Actors back in those days, they didn't have makeup and and all this stuff. They didn't have makeup and hair. They wore a mask. And that mask would be who they presented to the audience as their character. Um, Jesus was saying, you're a hypocrite. You're just wearing a mask. You're presenting something that you aren't really on the inside. And, and we all do this. We all have RCF. We all have resting church face, right? You know, it's the plastic smile. Hey, how you doing? Good. Good to see you. Oh, you look great. I love that sweater. You know. We all have that. 
Um, we all like to present ourselves as put together, especially at church or in some other Christian setting. But Jesus just rips the mask off. You're hypocrites. And then, after exposing them, he submits them to an x-ray of their hearts, and he says, these people honor me with their lips, with their church face, but their hearts are far from me. So this x-ray shows that even though we look close to God, we're really far, far away from him. Even though we've checked all the boxes, our hearts are really far away from God. What a sad, sad indictment. I would, I would hate for Jesus to grab my heart, pull it out, and say, you're a hypocrite. This is far from me. Just how far from God are their hearts? He, he goes on. <laughs> you're, at this point, the Pharisees are like, okay, Jesus, that's enough. Nope, more. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. He goes a step further. You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. Wow. It's so bad. Their hearts are in such bad shape. They're so far from God that they've let go of God's commandments and have latched on to their own traditions their own commandments. And worse than that, Jesus is saying, what's really happened is you've rejected the command of God and set yourself up on your own rules and laws. What they did was called, uh, this tradition was called halakha. It was this oral tradition that had been passed down generation to generation that was not part of the written law, but what they would do uh, is they would establish other rules. They were so afraid of breaking the law of God that they had to uh, create a buffer zone or, or these fences to keep them from getting anywhere close to breaking the law of God. And so even though the Bible uh, did not require that every person must constantly wash with water, uh, it did say that you could not touch someone or something unclean or else you would become unclean. And so they created this buffer zone of all these washing rituals and rules that everybody had to do so that you would not have any chance of becoming unclean. It, there's good intentions there. They want to be truly devoted to God and committed to holiness. And so they were going to go the extra mile. But what Jesus is saying is that by this time, it had become so much, so uh, the tradition itself had turned into a law. They turned applications of the law into the law itself. And then he gives an illustration of this korban. Uh, to say that something is korban is, is this. It's, it's a vow that you, you, I would dedicate something of mine to a special purpose and say that it could not be profaned by others. It could not be used, whether it was financial or whether it was a possession I had or, or something that I have and possess that is korban. It's, 
It's dedicated to a special purpose. As if it's an offering to God, but it didn't really have to be an offering to God. It just needed to be set apart as korban, and no one else could use it. No one else could touch it. Let me give you an example. Suppose I said, my basement and my house has been set aside for the glory of God and the good of his people. I want the youth group to come and use it sometimes. They have. I'd like to have people over from the church and and let's, you know, play some games and have food and enjoy some time together. Yeah, we've done that. Um, I, I would love for, uh, you know, maybe, maybe sometimes the elders or deacons, we have a meeting in my basement. So my basement is set aside for God's glory and the good of God's people. Therefore, I cannot allow my mother-in-law to temporarily live in my basement uh, until she has a new place to live. Sorry, you're out, Mom. Rot's a ruck. But thankfully, Pastor Jimmy has not done that. I, in my great kindness and generosity, have allowed my mother-in-law to live in my basement. She's living there now. <sighs> thankfully, I'm not that bad. But sometimes when you're preaching it, you get cornered by it. What if I look like I'm loving and obeying God by letting my mother-in-law live in my basement, but then while she's living there, I find ways not to serve her, and then even when I do serve her, I grumble under my breath about it. Or, I don't honor her as more significant than myself, like Paul says Jesus did for me. Then I'm guilty of breaking the fifth commandment after all, aren't I? You know what? Good news. I'm worse than I thought I was. I need Jesus more than I thought I did. The bottom line is that we can look like we're loving God when we're really just loving ourselves. And when we do that, we break the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. When we love ourselves, we are God before him. And so Jesus is trying to expose not only that their heart is far from God, but they they do not even truly understand God's heart. Do you understand that if, if they think that they can do all these little rules and placate God's wrath, then they don't really understand that God is a holy God. If you and I think that we can do all the religious activities and our heart is far from God and he'll be pleased with us and we'll placate his wrath, then we don't really understand how holy he is. That's the problem with the Pharisees. They lower his standards to things they can do so that they can shield themselves from his wrath and placate him. But they also don't understand how gracious he is because they lower 
his standards to things they can do to earn his love, to please him. God's happy with all my washings, right? He's not happy with yours, but he's happy with mine. See, when we get hooked on all these little rules and, and religious activities, thinking that that's where it's at, we actually don't understand how holy God is. There are no boxes I can check to placate the wrath of God that I deserve. There are no boxes that I can check to get God to love me. It's not possible. So in order for any of us to truly grasp who Jesus is and what he's done on the cross, we have to abandon all hope in ourselves. That's what Jesus is trying to say. We have to hear him say, good news, you're worse than you think. Before we can hear him say, good news, the gospel is far greater than you can imagine. So now that Jesus has ripped off the scab um, of our hearts, he wants to examine what's underneath. And so, again, Jesus is going to say, good news, you're worse than you think. There are actually all kinds of uncleanness in your heart. It's not what's outside that comes in that defiles you. What defiles you is already in there. And so this list that Jesus gives of all the, the things that are inside our hearts, they're actually, they're actually just a remix of the second half of the Ten Commandments, 5 through 10. Um, if you read through them, you'll see. It, it's just, it, it's two kinds of applications of the last six commandments. Some are external and some are internal. Uh, some of these are external things that people can see. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, deceit, and slander. But then he also mixes in there with them some internal, unseen evils. Coveting, which is over-desiring something, whether it's a good or, or bad thing. Wickedness, sensuality, envy, pride, foolishness. Look, here, here's, here's how it works. I found these two acorns in my yard yesterday when I was blowing leaves, which is a fruitless exercise. <laughs> um, so here's an acorn... It's just by itself. I found one that had not been half eaten by a squirrel. Uh, there's an acorn. Everything that that tree is going to be is in that acorn, right? But we don't see it. It, it hasn't busted out of the acorn yet. Now, I found one that started to sprout. So there's a little bit. But where I found this one was not just sitting on top of the dirt. This one was dug in a little bit. So with the right set of circumstances, the right amount of soil and moisture and light and nutrients, what's in this acorn can come out. And I think that's, that's what Jesus is getting at here. Just because you don't murder doesn't mean murder is not in you. 
Because with the right set of circumstances, um, whether it's your upbringing or what's going on or the relational situation you're in, with the right set of circumstances, murder could come out and you could pull the trigger or plunge the knife. Just because you haven't yet doesn't mean it's not in there. The same for adultery. Sexual immorality and sensuality are in there, and with the right set of circumstances, you may actually commit adultery. Same for theft. He mentions that. Envy and coveting are in there, and in the right set of circumstances, you may actually steal. And then he mentions slander. Evil thoughts and envy and pride are in there, and with the right set of circumstances, you may actually say some really nasty things, or even true things, about someone else to make yourself look better or to hurt them. So the point is, everything that defiles us is already in there. Just because it hasn't sprouted yet, just because you haven't actually murdered and actually committed adultery and maybe you've never slandered anybody, doesn't mean you're not a murderer, adulterer, and slanderer and thief. Good news. You're worse than you think. Now listen, Jesus is not trying to remove all hope from us. But he is trying to remove your hope in yourself. So I think his question for us is, have you come to the end of your hope in yourself yet? Have you come to the end of your hope in yourself? Because it's there you'll find Jesus. So, if you know you're worse than you think, then you think, that's good news. If you know your heart is far from God, that's good news. If you know you are the filed from the inside out. That's good news. Because now, now you're ready for who Jesus is and what he came to do. Paul said the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came to save sinners among whom I am the foremost. This is this is what Mark has been trying to tell us. Jesus came into the world to save sinners, real sinners, not hypothetical sinners. Hypothetical sinners need a hypothetical sinner, a Savior, and they only receive hypothetical grace. No, Jesus came into the world to save real sinners, like me, like you, who are vile and defiled on the inside. Real sinners get a real Savior and real grace. So, now that Jesus has exposed what's inside you and me, that we're defiled and unclean from the inside out, here's my question. What's inside Jesus? Was Jesus unclean on the inside? What has Mark already shown us? 
when Jesus touched the unclean leper, did Jesus become unclean or did the leper become clean? The leper became clean. When the bleeding woman who was unclean because of her flow of blood, when she reached out and touched Jesus, did Jesus become unclean and defiled or did she become clean? She became clean. When Jesus touched the lifeless hand of Jairus' little girl and brought her back to life, did he become unclean for touching a dead body or did she become brand new? You know the answer. When Jesus commanded the legion of unclean spirits to come out of the demon-possessed man, it was the Holy Spirit in Jesus who drove out the unclean spirits in that man. So Mark has been showing us all along that the only hope for a defiled heart is the undefiled heart of the king who would be crucified. Only what's inside him can cure what's inside you and me. Friends, hear this. Hear this good news. He whose heart had no evil things within it, whose heart was not far from God, his, he is the heart of God in the flesh, whose heart beat passionately with love for God and compassionately with love for others, whose heart beat and pounded with the Ten Commandments out of love for his Father. That pure, clean, undefiled heart became defiled for us so that we might become clean in him. That's where Mark is taking us in this gospel. Lord Jesus, Thank you for coming with your undefiled, pure, clean heart. And taking on all those vile, defiled things that come out of our hearts. Would you help us to trust you as our only hope? to survive the wrath of God and our only hope to know his love for us. Jesus, come by your spirit and do that in us, we pray. Amen.